Please turn with me to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. I want to consider this psalm as we also consider the first petition of the Lord's Prayer together. A psalm that sings the glory of the name of God. Psalm 145. And I'll read the whole psalm. Let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and give praise and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Truly wonderful psalm chronicling the greatness of our God, and one that's good to think about if we're thinking about a petition where we're praying, Lord, may your name be hallowed. That's really what we're thinking about in the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, that God's name would be glorified in the world. Um, And we have already talked about the Lord's Prayer, talked about it's a prayer that Jesus gave us that summarizes for us all the needs that we have for body and for soul. Uh, But I wonder if we weren't in the middle of a study on the Lord's Prayer um, and we started trying to sit down and list for ourselves, what are all the needs that I have for body and soul? Um, I wonder how long it would take for us to say that the glory of the name of the Lord is one of the things that I need for body and soul. And maybe if you knew it was a test, you know, if I put you to the test, you'd realize there was some, you know, something behind that question and maybe you'd think in those terms. But I'm not sure that our minds immediately go to think of to ourselves, you know what I really need is for God's name to be glorified. Um, but it is the first thing we're called to pray for. Um, It's the first thing that is mentioned in this prayer for our needs for body and for soul. And it tells us something about the reality 
of what we need when it comes to the glory of God's name, that that's actually the chief need that we have. Uh, that we, we could say with one of the Puritans that this is the first and great petition. Right? The first and great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And a Puritan said, well, this is the first and great petition. Hallowed be thy name. Uh, that that's actually what we need more than anything else. We need that more even than the Lord's kingdom coming. We need that more even than our daily bread. We need that more even than our forgiveness of sins or our deliverance from evil. This is the first thing we mention in our prayers. This is the chief of our needs for body and soul is for the Lord's name to be glorified. Um, it's If we think about the Lord's Prayer, one of the reasons it's such a great petition is that it will continue to be the prayer of God's people in heaven. You know, some of these other petitions will fade away in glory, right? We won't need to pray, thy kingdom come when we're in heaven. We won't need to pray, thy will be done. Um, We won't need to pray for daily bread. We certainly won't need to pray for forgiveness of sins or deliverance from evil, But there's one prayer that will continue to endure throughout all the generations of glory. Um, Those unmarked passages of eternal time will be glorify your name. Glory be to the name of God. That that prayer won't cease. That praise won't cease. This is the first and great petition. Hallowed be thy name. Um, We want to think about that. We want to think about how this directs our minds and hearts, to know our need and our need to see the Lord's name glorified, what that means as we lift up our prayers. Uh, The Bible teaches us everything we need to know. We talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. It teaches us everything we need to know for doctrine, for life, and for worship, for what we are to believe and how we're to live and how we are to glorify our God. Um, And we see that doctrine and life and worship are all involved in this first petition. Uh, What we believe and how we live and how we glorify God's name are all involved here. Question 122 says, Help us to truly know you, honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think and say and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. It talks about a true knowledge of God and the worship that God deserves and how we are to live lives of service to him for his glory. And so we want to think about this petition together and think about how this petition is really making three requests. We could summarize that in, in three ways. Help us to know you truly. Help us to worship you properly and help us to glorify you in all that we say and do. But this is really what we're praying when we pray, hallowed be thy name. Help us to know you truly, help us to worship you properly, and help us to glorify you in all that we do. Uh, This is what we are praying for when we pray this prayer. Help us to know you truly. Um, we, We know that we cannot really truly know the Lord unless we have him revealed to us. In fact, unless he reveals himself to us, we cannot truly know God. 
Um, And one of the ways that God makes himself known in the scriptures is to tell us his name. Right? We don't say, hallowed be God in our prayer. We say, hallowed be thy name. Um, and that's because the name of God reveals something of who God is to us. That's how God reveals himself to his people, uh, with names, names that help us to understand something of who he is. Um, right? Moses understood that, that you need to know God's name if you're going to present him to people when he heard the burning bush speaking to him and giving him a message to bring back to the people of God, he asked, who should I say sent me? They asked me, what is the name of God? What should I say? Um, And that's when we have the the remarkable statement by God, I am who I am. Tell them, I am who I am sent you. The father of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. um, That I'm their God and I'm sending you. That tells us something about who God is. That God is always who he is. Uh, That he is always who he is for his people's sake. And that that's good news that God is who he is. Um, But that tells us something about who he is. Um, And the name of God is connected closely with God himself. That's how the Bible teaches us to think. Um, Think about the, the commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Um, or think of Psalm 8.1 that we probably know well, uh, whether we know it, Psalm 8.1 or not. Um, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The name of the Lord is closely connected with the Lord. It tells us something about who he is. Um, That's why God has many names in scripture uh, that he's called by, because of course God is so great in his glory that no one name would capture it all. Um, that from one time he has to be called the most high God to give us something, some idea of his greatness. Sometimes he calls himself Yahweh, the, the God of the covenant, so that we know he's in relation with his people. Sometimes that covenant name is added to other things. Um, we, we sing about that in A Mighty Fortress is Our God, Lord Sabaoth, his name. Um, Sabaoth means the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. That talks about the might of our God. Um, Or God comes to Abraham and calls himself El Shaddai, the the overshadowing God. Um, All of these things tell us something about who God is. That's why all these names are used in Scripture. They all have a purpose to make the greatness of God and the extent of God's glory somewhat known to his people. We can't understand the fullness of his glory, but he can communicate something of that glory to us. One theologian put it this way, all the names have a purpose that God through them draws our attention to the most important attributes of his being. This being is so rich and comprehensive that we need to have some benchmarks in order to understand the rest. God's names are not empty sounds like the names of people, but they have meaning and contribute to our knowledge of God. Um, we all have names, and, and sometimes our names mean something. Um, you know, I, I remember finding out at one point that the name William, the, the word William really means bold conqueror. I've never conquered anything. You know? and, I, and I don't know that my parents gave me that name because I was particularly bold. Um, you know, it had nothing to do with, with who I am. It was more a family name 
That was the name I was given. It didn't have that meaning. God's names are not like that. They're not empty sounds. When God calls himself the Lord of armies, he is the Lord of armies. That's not an empty sound. That's who God is. Um, and, and that's one of the glorious things. That these, aren't act, these aren't platitudes. These aren't niceties. These are true realities. Um, and, and that's a wonderful thing to think about when you're in need of help and you hear that the Lord is the Lord of armies. Uh, you know he has the power to help. But we also hear other things about the precious attributes of our God. Um, we hear about the things he says about himself, that he's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, that he's compassionate, uh, that he doesn't forget his covenant, that there's no shadow of turning with him. All of those things are important things that God reveals to us about himself. So he, he reveals himself in names. He reveals himself in titles. We can think of the titles Lord and Christ. That Jesus is the master of all. He's anointed as prophet, priest, and king. Those are precious to us. God reveals himself as he exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of those names tell us something about our God. Um, and all of this helps to, to remind us that we can't really know God unless we know his name. Unless we understand who this God is, who we worship and praise. Um, that we, we rightly know him. And that's how he reveals himself to us, by revealing to us his name. Um, that, that comes to crucial expression when Jesus is talking to his disciples and the disciples are, are having that discussion about what everybody is saying about Jesus and who they think he is um, and, and who people are saying he is. And you remember that question that he puts to the disciples in Matthew chapter 16, where he says, but who do you say that I am? Or in a sense, that's a profound question that Jesus is putting to the disciples, um, people are trying to give me the name Elijah or Moses or one of the other prophets, but who do you say that I am? Um, and we remember the great response of Simon Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Um, Peter was given by the Holy Spirit to know his name. Um, Peter lashed out in a lot of bold moves in wrong directions in his life. And I, I like to think that maybe some of the disciples, when he lashed out boldly in this direction, maybe rolled their eyes and thought, here goes Peter again overstating the case. Um, he thinks he's the Messiah. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Um, and what did Jesus respond? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Blessed are you, for the Lord has made him made you to know my name. Um, that's a wonderful thing to know God's name. And if we don't really know him, how can we possibly worship him? How can we possibly get that right if we don't know him? That's one of the most precious gifts that we can be given to understand and to know who this God is. Right? There, there's a lot of people that are, that are celebrating Christmas and they may sort of tangentially know that the reason for the season is Jesus. But what do they know of him? Um, do they really understand who he is or why he came? And that's the blessing of the people of God, not just to know the reason for the season, but to know who he is. 
to understand who he is. Um, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 said, Thus says the Lord, not, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. If you're going to rejoice in something, rejoice in the fact that you know and you understand God. That you know who He is. Isn't that how Jesus defined eternal life? In His high priestly prayer, Jesus said in John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. We can't glorify a God we don't know. We can't worship a God we don't know. Um, so the, that's why the first step of that petition, if we really want to glorify him, is we're saying, help us to really know you. Because the more we know God, the more glorious he becomes. The more we know him, the more glorious he becomes. Because we understand more and more how great he really is. I love the passage in Job that considers all the great work of God in his creation. And then Job sort of gets to the end of it and he's marveling at God's great power in creation. And he says, but you know, that's just a whisper of your power. That's a whisper of your voice, all that you've made. We've only seen the outskirts of what you're capable of. The whole glory of everything you made, that's like your whisper and the thunder of your voice. Who could understand? The more you understand God, the more you understand his glory. Right? It's one thing that Jesus Christ would come for sinners. It's another thing that he would come for people who are still his enemies. Right? A righteous man may down, lay down his life for his friends. Jesus didn't lay down life for his friends. He laid down his life for his enemies, for those who still hated him. Even for some who were there yelling, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Let, let his blood be on our heads and on the heads of our children forever. Right, that's a measure of the God we serve. And when we understand Him, we know Him, we know something of His glory, then we can worship Him properly. Um, and both of those are, are contained in this petition. Help us to really know You so that we can really glorify You. So that we can really worship You as is befitting Your name. Right, only when we rightly know Him can we worship Him as we ought. And that's why part of our prayer is, help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. That's what's so wonderful about Psalm 145. It's a psalm that, that's praising God, that's celebrating God for who he is, that he's the blessed king, that he's the great Lord. And the psalm expresses a knowledge of why he's blessed, why he's great, why his kingdom is so great. It's just a, it's a beautiful catalog of everything that makes God wonderful. Everything that makes God great, everything that makes God glorious. It gets into the qualities of our God. 
Um, we, we can think of those, those fundamental qualities that are so precious to God's people, the glory that was revealed to Moses in Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is grace, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. That's the greatness of the God that we serve. A God who gives to his people and cares for his people. Psalmist celebrates that. A God who is wise and who's kind and who's righteous. A God who is near to his people. A God who hears his people when they call. A God who fulfills the desires of their hearts and sustains our hopes. Um, A God who preserves our lives, catches us when we're falling. This is a psalm that is written by someone intimately acquainted with the God who is and the God who acts who knows his power and knows the qualities that are revealed and what flows from the power of that God. And that was someone who hadn't even seen Jesus yet. Right? We can come to the end of this psalm and say, you know, you did did a pretty good job, David, but you ain't seen nothing yet because there's a whole new host of revelation that's going to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to put feet to the glory and the power of God in a way that we can really only partly understand like through a glass darkly in the Old Testament. We see it clearly personified in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who God is. And that's the God that we are to worship. Uh, John Calvin made an interesting point about the glory of God's name in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer. He said, Holiness always dwells and permanently remains in God, but men obscure it by their malice and depravity, or dishonor and pollute it by sacrilegious contempt. In short, a part of the world profanes his holiness to the utmost of their power. We need not then wonder if we are commanded to ask in the first place that the reverence which is due to it may be given." I've heard people say, why should we pray for the glory of the name of God? No one can do anything to detract from his glory. He is glorious. He remains glorious no matter what people do. But I like what Calvin says. We live in a world where people are constantly trying to obscure the glory of God. But that's what sinful man tries to do. It takes the things that God has made and attributes them to some other kind of creation. It takes the things that God has made good and perverts them for its own end. And in all of this, it's covering over the glory of God. Trying to obscure it. Uh, like smearing mud on a camera lens so you can't see what it's, what it's showing you. And so what, what our role is in the world, Calvin says, is not to add to God's glory as if we could do that. God is glorious already. But one of our roles in the world is to try to wipe away that dirt that the, that the world tries to heap on the glory of God's name and to let it shine forth in its glory. That's the privilege that we have as the people of God, to worship his name, to make his name known, and to glorify him for who he is. That, that's our role in the world. I don't know if we think about that as one of the most important tasks that we have in this world, but that's to glorify the name of God. To testify in this world to who God is and what God has done. Um, we, we hear something of that in, in this psalm, right? It's not just 
Psalm, the psalm is celebrating all the things that are good about God, but saying, I'm going to tell people about this. They're going to hear it from me. There's going to be a voice in this world for the Lord and for His glory and for His power and for His name. And the privilege of being a Christian is we get to be that voice. That's the privilege of of being a Christian, of carrying the name of God. We get the privilege of sharing that glory in the world. Of trying to undo what the world is doing and speak of his name with reverence and give it the glory that it's due. That's what we mean sometimes when we say our job in worship is to magnify the name of the Lord. Um, I don't know how much you, you think about that word. Um, it's one of those you know, pious Christian words that we use, and we probably pray, and uh, sometimes we use it so much we can become so comfortable with it we don't really even think about what do we mean when we say that. Can I magnify the glory of the Lord? Can I magnify his name? Can I make his name greater? Uh, but we can think about how a magnifying glass works. Right? It doesn't change the thing you put under the magnifying glass. What does it do to that thing? It just makes it appear bigger and clearer. That's what it means to magnify the name of the Lord, to make it bigger and clearer in the world. So the world would see something of God's glory. And we're the only people in the world who can do that. We're the only people in the world who can glorify the name of the Lord. I always, I always think about that around the time of the Olympics and the Summer Olympics when they have the 100-meter race, you know, the, 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 the fastest of the fast. And they always say, you know, whoever wins that race, they're the fastest person on the planet. Right? That always just sort of blows me away. That there, that there's someone who can walk around and think, you know, I'm, I'm the fastest person on the planet. Right, um, because that's something I've never been close to saying. Um, I'm not, I've never been the fastest person on the block, much less on the planet. Um, and so it's always amazing to me that, that someone could be the best in the world. I was thinking of that when, when Katie Ledecky was breaking all those swimming records. And I mean, she was finishing, you know, lengths ahead of, of the nearest person. And, and the, I, must, I thought that's so demoralizing to think, I'm the second best swimmer in the world, and I'm getting almost lapped by the best. Right? There's only one person who's the best. There's only one person who can, who can say that. And it's an amazing thing to be that one person. Well, there's no one else in the world who can glorify God's name except for his people. There's no one else who can do that. There's no one else who can do that but people who know him and who understand him. We're the only people in the world who can glorify his name, can magnify him because we're the only ones he, that know him as he truly is, has been revealed to us in the light of the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's a privilege to be able to glorify God's name. It's a privilege to be able to magnify the name of God. And he's allowed us to be the only people in the world who can do it. And that's part of what we're praying. Help us to do it. Help us to do it well. Help us to do it properly. Because the world knows nothing of who God is. You know, it's sad you hear that every time they interview someone and they ask them, well, who do you think God is? Well, God to me is, and then they say something that's just completely not true of God. 
And it is just so clear that it's a God of their own making. And for Christians, that should be heartbreaking. We say to ourselves, you have no idea the God who is and the God who loves and the God who has showered compassion on us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no idea. Well, we know. And it's our privilege to magnify and to glorify his name. Not just to speak of his work, but to speak of all that shines forth from that work. That testifies to his power and his goodness and his justice and his mercy and his truth. And we can do that even in a simple way. If we remember that the Father is the great creator, that the Son is the great redeemer, and that the Spirit is the great sanctifier. We have in there everything we need to know about the basics of glorifying the name of God. That he made everything and he sustains everything and he's moving everything towards the end he built it for. And when the world that he made rebelled against him, he didn't send a judge, he sent a redeemer. So that the world might be saved through him. And that he's sanctifying this world that's been polluted with sin to make it whole again. To make it a place where wickedness doesn't exist anymore and evil doesn't exist anymore and those former things are forgotten. That's something of his glory. And in those things, don't his power and goodness and justice and mercy and truth shine forth? We're praying that prayer. We ask God to help us to be those who rightly worship his name. Who can give to the Lord the glory due his name. Right? That, that's, the, that's where Psalm 145 begins and ends. With this desire to praise the name of the Lord who is. To glorify his name. I will extol you my God and King and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. His people are the only ones who can do it, even though all creation should do it. And so the desire of our hearts would be not only to be doing it ourselves, but to see more and more people added to the ranks of those who believe and who know and who worship. So that we would worship God properly. That's part of our prayer. Um, We're never acting less worldly and more heavenly uh, than when we're praising the Lord when we're blessing his name. Um, I I know it doesn't always feel like it, especially not on the Sunday night when the sermon's going on and on. Um, But we are doing something profound when we come to worship at the Lord's house. We're doing something profound when we gather together to worship his name. In a sense, this is heavenly choir practice. This is what we'll be doing for all eternity. That was something I wrestled with when I was a little kid. When I thought, you know, heaven, church is preparing you for heaven. And I would say to myself, does that mean heaven is like church? Um, that didn't strike me, you know, as a young kid, as a great idea. Um, it's like church only better. Um, because Jesus is there. It's not just a messenger of the king who's talking to you. It's the king you see face to face. This is just practice for that. This is, in a sense, heavenly choir practice. We're beginning to learn what it is to praise the Lord together. To do the thing 
that will last forever and ever. Uh, to worship Him and to glorify Him. Um, and we're never doing anything that's more heavenly than when we're doing that together. When we're hearing His Word and worshiping His name, responding with our praises and our prayers. Um, in praise, as one Puritan put it, we act like angels. Praise is the music of heaven and a work fit for a saint. Um, that, that's the picture we have in heaven of the heavenly host singing together, glory to God in the highest. The heavenly host singing hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Um, and this is practice for that choir that will sound like the noise of many rushing waters and like a loud thundering chorus. It doesn't sound like that sometimes. It doesn't sound like that when the minister picks a hard tune for the Song of Mary. It doesn't always ring out, um, but it will. This is practice for glory. And so we want to extend that beyond just the bounds of the church. We want to extend that into all of our lives. We want to worship God properly. And that petition's asking, God, help us to worship you properly. But it's also asking us to help, help us to glorify you in all that we do. Help us to take what we learn here and what we do here and to translate that outside the walls of the church and bring it to the four corners of the world. Help us to glorify you in all that we do. That should be the driving principle of the Christian life, to give glory to God. Um, and that's why the second part of the explanation of this petition in the Catechism is help us to direct all our living, what we think and say and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. In one sense, the goal of the Christian life is really simple. It can be stated in a positive and a negative. Help us to do everything we can to glorify your name and keep us from doing anything that would not glorify your name. The, the, those are really the desires of the heart of any Christian. Help us to glorify your name in all that we do. And so what do we do that glorifies the name of God? Well, nothing we do more glorifies God's name than trusting Him. Trusting Him to be who we confess Him to believe. You know, it's a great thing to praise God as the God who is King and the God who blesses and the God who provides and the God who delivers and the God who hears and the God who protects. It's, another, it's one thing to say that, it's another thing to believe it. It's another thing to trust yourself to that when it feels like your feet are slipping. To trust that there's someone holding you, that underneath you are the everlasting arms when you feel alone. Um, and the Psalms express that in wonderful ways as well. When I thought my feet slipped, your hand held me fast. You know, Psalm 94 says that. When the, con when the consolations, when the, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. I thought I was slipping. I thought I was falling. I thought the waters were overwhelming me. I thought the fire was going to swallow me up. But there was the Lord in His power and in His glory and in His mercy and in His goodness. We glorify God the most when we trust Him to be God. 
We trust him to be God no matter what the circumstances are that we face. Our faith gives him glory. Uh, That's the wonderful account that's given to us in Romans 4 about Abraham. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. We glorify God when we are fully convinced that he can do what he promised. When we trust ourselves to God to be God. No matter what happens to us, he will still be God. And no matter what circumstances we face, we will trust in him. Those are some of the great statements of scripture. In the most desperate moments, God's saints have made those kinds of cries. Think of Job saying, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Um, or Habakkuk three seventeen through 19, though the fig tree should not blossom <clears throat> nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Um, Or that great statement of trust that our Lord took upon his lips and is dying. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's, That's someone who trusts. And God is never more glorified than when we trust in him. So principally by our faith we glorify him and finally by our obedience we glorify him. When we do those things that we know are pleasing to him. Right, that, that second part of the petition in the, in the catechism is, is law language. That with our whole lives, our thoughts and words and deeds, we would obey him and thereby glorify his name. God is glorified when we do the things that are pleasing to him. Um, and we can think of the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Um, So by our faith and by our obedience, when we trust and obey the Lord, we give glory to his name in how we live. And we know we can only do these things through the help of God. Right? If we're saying to ourselves, well, who can worship God like this? And who can can know God like this? And who can live like this? Um, Only people who are given that gift by our God. That's why it's a petition that we pray. And that, that's why this is first and foremost what God's people need to pray. Hallowed be thy name. Help us to glorify you by truly knowing you and by properly worshiping you and living our whole lives always and only for your glory. May God grant that prayer in each of our lives. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, would you give us the grace and the help of your Holy Spirit that we might do those things that we desire to do, which is to truly know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent, to worship you properly, to have our hearts sing in accord with the great things that we read in the Psalms like Psalm 145, that our hearts would sing out that same kind of praise to the God who is known and who is loved by his people. Help us to prepare for heaven now as we worship your name and help us also to take that glory out into the world that we might be like light shining in a dark world. 
so that your name would be glorified, so that people would see more clearly who you are and give glory to your name. Help us in this and help the world in this, that it might know you, so that it might worship you and glorify you in all that we say and do. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.